standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to talk to you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. With life and indeed theatres opening up again across the country, you might have noticed that there is a big show coming to London town, to the Gilgood Theatre to be precise. And that show is Aaron Sorkin, he of the West Wing, the social network, the newsroom, I could go on, fame, his adaptation of the Harper Lee classic To Kill a Mockingbird. This week, I catch up with Pamela Nonvetter and Gwyneth Keyworth, who play Calpurnia and Scout in the production, to find out what it's like to play such beloved roles, how Sorkin has brought the play into the 21st century, and whether or not Scout is a revolutionary rather than just an innocent narrator. Now, I know Al Dunleavy has tickets for the play, and I am itching to get my hands on some as well after talking to Pamela and Gwyneth. I hope you enjoy listening to them as much as I did talking to them. I'm joined by Pamela Nonvetter and Gwyneth Keyworth, stars of the new, very exciting West End production of To Kill a Mockingbird. Hello, thanks for joining me. Hiya. Hello. I just wanted to start by talking about the book and the adaptation of the book, because obviously it is enormously popular. The original book by Harper Lee, the film as well, starring Gregory Peck from the 60s, was hugely popular. I think he won an Academy Award for that. So no pressure, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no pressure at all. (laughs) Is it, you know, is it a daunting prospect to play such beloved characters? Pamela, I'll start, start with you. Well, yeah, it's it's daunting in terms of it is a big play. I mean, that's what we've discovered. So apart from the fact that it, it is so popular and so iconic, it's kind of by and by. But I think in terms of because I'm playing Calpurnia, who Aaron Sorkin describes perfectly as the black characters in it, in the book and in the film are kind of like props so you don't actually really hear from them. So this is really exciting because it, so it feels like something new. It feels like doing a new piece as opposed to something that is iconic. So I feel really privileged to give voice to this iconic character who's always just basically been invisible, even though she is iconic. It's like, oh, everybody knows Calpurnia, but you've never heard from her. How about you, Gwyneth? How do you feel about taking on the role of, of Scout? I think like Scout is like almost like it's quite a lot of people's favourite character mm. ever. So there's quite a lot of pressure <laughs> with that, you know. But, like People are like, oh, I just love her so much. Um, I I didn't read To Kill a Mockingbird until I was much older. So like I don't have the same history as lots of people. Like it's their favourite book from when they were a kid or they studied at school. Yeah. I didn't have that sort of history with it. So... I mean, I read it. Well, I read it. I read it in my twenties. I think because my sister had read it and then was like, "Oh, give it a go! Like, this is a good, like, one of the books that you should read in life." And I'd enjoyed it, and I really liked Scout, but I'd sort of hadn't really thought very deeply about it, and I hadn't realised how much it sort of had just like been ticking away in my brain over the years. And then, um, and then you know, this kept, the audition for this came up, and suddenly I was like, "Oh my god!" And I think Scout's interesting because I really do identify with her in terms of. Not wanting to be, um, <laughs> not not identifying as very f- as very femme. Maybe that's a good way of saying it. She's as a bit a of a child. tomboy, isn't she? She's a tomboy. Yeah. I think, and I felt that as a kid. I yeah. felt the injustice of 
not being able to go and play in the mud like the boys got to. <laughs> this is an Aaron Sorkin adaptation. Obviously, Aaron Sorkin's a big name. What can we expect to see? How faithful is it to the to the original book? I think it's it's faithful and it takes what it is everything Harper Lee wrote, but it's it has to be updated for today's audiences. You'd be shortchanging them. We've moved on a long way since Harper Lee wrote a groundbreaking book in her time, but we've moved on since then, which is a good thing, but also terrifying that we haven't moved on enough to stop talking about these things. You know, we still need to talk about these things. And Aaron Sorkin's writing honours Harper Lee's work, but also brings it to a modern day audience and asks the important questions that are pertinent to today. It's quite different from the film. It's re- it's really diverged away from the film in terms of maybe Gregory Peck's take on Atticus isn't what you're going to get when you come and see this. Oh. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Um, <laughs> we have a much different take on. The, actually, if you look at Harper Lee's work, that's what was always in the book. Mm. So it's just about the the framework in which you look at these characters. That's really like, interesting. The, what learns. Because I studied To Kill a Mockingbird at school, as lots of people do. And uh, I remember watching the film after I studied it, or maybe while I was studying it. And that representation of Atticus was absolutely nothing like how I imagined Atticus. But now, looking back on it, you know, I think of Atticus and I think of Gregory Peck. So, I mean, that's that's a really iconic role for Rafe Spall to take on. Moving on from that, Scouts is the narrator of the book. I just wondered how that sort of plays out in the production of it, because it's quite important in the book that Scouts the narrator, because it's sort of one of the whole points of the book is that we're looking at this situation through the innocence of a child's eyes, right? Definitely. I think we play a bit of a game with the narration in that uh, Scout sort of of defies all time and space at times, almost, (laughs) in that she she is... a child looking, you know, viewing all of this, but she's also an adult looking back at her childhood. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense of why we're looking at, you know, looking at a book that was written of its time now. I think the fact that Scout is this person that sort of, she has a real relationship with the audience and they, and she is guiding them as well as using them to help her understand the world as like almost as if it's the audience is the page which Har- that Harper Lee's writing on or something you're quite a bit older than Scout is so mm. you're playing a child how did you tap into that children aren't that diff they're not that different do you know what I mean when you're a kid you don't think of yourself as a kid you think yourself as really reasonable you just don't have all the, <laughs> the equipment yet do you know what I mean like the yeah. three-year-old that's having a tantrum is having a tantrum genuinely because they are upset it's just that they don't have the tools to communicate as well yeah so all you're doing is going what tools do I have available and and um changing them and then you've just got to like you know, some things think the world's bigger, so things are more exciting because they're bigger. And like, you just sort of think about it like that. It I probably as an actor, you kind of always are sort of still playing play pretend. So like, it's not that <laughs> much of a, it's not that far off from every day in some ways. Maybe. <laughs> is it more fun yeah. to play a child? It is more fun, but it's, it's also like more heartbreaking at times because the world is like, you, you know things have more stakes in them because it's maybe the first time you're experiencing them. So it's just everything is amplified. It just hits harder. So excitement is doubly exciting and sadness is doubly saddening because it's the first time you're reaching these things lots of the time. 
But in this production of Scout, does she doesn't always stay a child. She is at times the age that I am now, which is quite fun. It's And it's quite a fluid movement between the, the different ages of her. So it's fun to find all the in-betweens of that as well. So Pamela, I wanted to talk to you about Calpurnia because she is in the book, she's the bridge really between the black and the white communities. And I was really interested in what you said before about Aaron Sorkin's sort of reworking of her because in the book, I kind of wonder if she gets the the credit she or the recognition she deserves. Yeah, because, you know, I also remember reading the book much, much younger than the both of you. And the only thing really walking away with was that it was about innocence and the awakening of that innocence. It was around the children, like this is a book about children and their awakening. Mm. And even though, yes, there was this backdrop of racism, even in the book, you know, it's the whole Tom Robinson trial. It's a very small part of it. And as for Calpurnia, I... I agree. It's like you you think, okay, she's sort of talked about as being a central figure in the family, you know, very present. And as you say, this bridge, and I'm putting that in inverted commas, I find that interesting, this bridge between her community and the Finch household, you know, the white world. But even that, it's it's quite vague. Um, it's very it's very much on the periphery whereas with this I think just Aaron has just brought these black characters both Calpurnia and Tom to the forefront I mean he's just made them visible and I think therefore that whole context around that time the Jim Crow era the whole division between the black and the white perspective I think now becomes something that's more tangible and that people can begin to explore and hopefully will provoke dialogue uh, because that's what she was talking about mm. in essence. You know, it, it's interesting to, to have Calpurnia as not just the silent maid in the background, that in her own white, she's a kind of, she's her own personal activist in a sense. <laughs> that's how I'm seeing her. It's like, hmm, what's a form of activism here? <laughs> <laughs> But at the same time, she has real love for this family. She loves the children. It's, uh, it's very powerful for me. And it's something that came as a surprise when I read it. But she does see them as hope. I think she's hopeful through looking at these children and how they evolve and handle this crazy situation they find themselves in. I mean, I've never really thought about it in in these terms exactly, but, like, the book, you know, is about racism. Well, societal injustice more widely, I think, because, as you said, the stuff about scouts and, you know, she's a tomboy and she doesn't want to be treated differently and she's got Aunt Alexandra who comes in and she wants to make her this southern belle and and, and obviously what happens with Boo as well, Boo Radley. So there's, there's the whole thing is about social injustice more widely but obviously we think of it more as as a book about racism about segregation and and the Jim Crow laws as you said but it does completely center the white family exactly Mm -hmm. which I've never thought about until this actual moment and that is really interesting (laughs) actually yeah and I think you'll find it when you come and watch that um, that suddenly there's actually a far more balanced 
a balanced perspective because you literally are confronted by the both worlds in the form of these, you know, human beings who you care about. So they bring the argument to the forefront and say, this is the reality of the world we are living in. I referred to Calpurnia as the bridge between the white and the black yes. communities and you did it with the little bunny ears then and you said it's inter- I find that interesting. I wondered what 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 do you find interesting about that? Well, because I suppose maybe for an audience who, who an audience observing their world because she's traversing both both areas she's she's in the white world with the finches household and then you see her with her black community Mm. so perhaps perhaps as an audience she serves as a bridge but I'm thinking for her herself I mean she's she's living this dynamic where she doesn't see herself as a bridge I mean she's got this job right and yes she's grown to love the family so she's part of the household but she comes from that community she is from that black community you know what I mean and I think I mean in a way I'm trying to not give away too much because you (laughs) you will learn that in the dialogues that she has with Atticus you know I think she she brings that to Atticus's attention so that's why I'm going, mm, Bridge, not sure. But I think in a way she is saying that. In a yeah. way she's saying, yeah, you see me as this bridge, but no, there's a reality here that you're overlooking. I'm not yeah. a bridge. I'm this human being and this is my life experience. Because in the book you do see her realities in the black community and the white community and the issues that she faces in both because there's you know she in the book there's hostility when she takes from well from some quarters when she takes the kids to the church and and it's interesting that the kids talk about and I'll come back to this in a minute but what we refer to now as code switching so where you know someone would talk differently in the different circles in which they move that's something that we kind of hear a lot more about I think now we talk about how people are kind of policed or have to change the way they behave within certain groups to be more acceptable or not I was interested in the relationship between Calpurnia and Scout as well because Cal is as you say at the center of the family can you tell us anything about the relationship between the two yeah, I think it's a very profound relationship. Um, and as you quite rightly pointed out in the book, she does take the children to her community. And I think that's her way of contributing to their evolution and appealing to the revolutionary that she sees in Scout. So I think I think mm. she sees Scout as a person that, a great thinker and someone who could definitely be an agent for change. So I think she invests a lot in that relationship. And I think you'll see an element of that uh, when when you watch this production. I think in lots of ways, Scout's, Scout is, um, she's old beyond her years, even though she's, you know, she's an eight-year-old. Calpurnia gives her the privilege of showing her a, a different way of viewing the world. And Scout is smart enough to be able to see that there are, you know, like in the book, Scout goes, realises that Calpurnia is code switching. And although we don't have that exact scene in the play, I think you see continuously throughout the play, Scout is given the opportunity to understand how the world works differently for different people. And that is both 
incredible and harrowing for her. And I think that there's a few moments in the play that I think are really important where Scout realizes she can't help. Mm. She can't mm. do any, like her <laughs> just good wishes are not good enough. And that's heartbreaking for both sides, but that is a reality <laughs> in the world. And I think that it's their relationship, Carponia and Scout is, cent- is central to the play in understanding it. And I think maybe just proves that Aaron Sorkin's a great writer, that mm. you can, that these underlayers are finally being shown in the way of, you know, because Scout doesn't know any other mother except for Calpurnia, who is, has a completely different life to what her mother would have led. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's very evident. Because obviously the book was like incredibly progressive and ahead of its time and Harper Lee was a bit of a revolutionary and Scout kind of is yeah. Harper Lee, isn't she, yeah. basically? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I've never really thought of Scout in that way. Do you think that Scout's a revolutionary, Gwyneth? In ways she is, yeah. I mean, like, even, even with the name Scout, but, you know, like, the reason, I think the reason why she's called Scout is she's the first, she's the first up there. She's like, it always in, she's out at the front finding out what's going on. She is relentless in her questioning of the world. And that takes bravery. So in that way, I do think she's a revolutionary because she, she does question the, the balance of why things are the way they are. She doesn't just accept. She wants to understand why the world works it the way it does. And if for a child of that time, you know, that's incredible. That's Even I think. the fact that she's a tomboy. Yeah. Mm. The fact that she she wants to own that. Yeah. That in itself, I mean, is incredibly advanced. You know, she's not passive in any way. No. And she's clearly an energy that believes in change. Yeah. And, and positive change. Yeah, definitely. She's an amazing an yeah. amazing character yeah it is definitely as, especially as you said the way the way she, in which she presents herself it's not just about being a tomboy it's about it's it's about going against the status quo of going yeah. i will identify myself the way i want to identify myself you keep telling me that pretty dresses are what i should be wearing but that is not how i feel yeah. and she doesn't she doesn't you know she'll beat up the boys she's active she's on the front foot <laughs> she's not sitting back so yeah i think she is so i wanted to ask you what do you think the enduring appeal of To Kill a Mockingbird is as time moves on and, and you know, we, we like to think that conversations move on and, and things are different, but you said, like, right right up the top that actually, worryingly, a lot of things have not moved on perhaps as much as we like to think they have. For me, it's not to be cliched, but it really does talk about the human experience in in concrete terms, you know, ultimately... That's what you experience with it, with individual dynamics, with the societal dynamics, with the environment. You know, the, the whole thing is just in there and how people are interacting on personal levels and then on the collective level. So I think it's because it really is a piece that is asking questions about who we are as human beings. And, you know, why do we behave in the way that we behave and what can we do to change and do we grow does experience help us to grow or do we just find ways of coping or or find ways of making it convenient for ourselves and our communities? So I think it's got those enduring questions that will be there for all time. But I also think it's because it's a piece that lends itself to, to allowing people to go through a process of transformation. It has that potential for people to transform as they as they work with it 
you have to work with it, isn't it? It, it affects everyone on some level, whether personally or, as I say, environmentally. So that's that's why I feel. I think that's why it endures. Yeah, I mean, I think Pamela nailed it there. <laughs> so I think because of the beautifully crafted characters, I think it invites people to change because you're forced to have a relationship with those people one way or another, positively or negatively, you engage with them. And I think that is the, it's the quickest and most direct way for a person to, to think and talk and, you know, transform. And I think it's because of your attachment to the people that you connect with. You've obviously been out of action, I imagine, for a while in, in theatres because obviously the, the pandemic. Is this your first show back? How does it feel to be back on stage? It's my first theatre show back and it's great. It's just, theatre is special. It's lovely being a room, in a room with people wanting to, to solve problems and wanting to share something as beautiful as this story, but also just be in a room with other actors and get to tell a story from start to finish. I mean, I love filming, but it's you, you're sort of at the mercy of the editor or whatever quite a lot of the time. There is something just magical about starting a play at the start and finishing doing the middle and finishing at the end and, and doing that whole rehearsal process is is great there's something really cathartic and very I think people will be excited to share this moment I think people I mean I know I missed it when I was in lockdowns missed sharing experiences with people missed going to see something and being asking my friends what did you think or oh, what did you take from that you know sharing things instead of just being locked in your room watching Netflix you know like which is fine there's nothing wrong with it mm. but there is some, you know it's more of an event if you get to do something together <laughs> I feel exactly the same way you suddenly realize the value of theatre it's such a privilege because it's just a physical experience and nothing else quite does that To Kill a Mockingbird is at the Gilgood Theatre from 10th of March to August 13th. Can I ask you both, do you have any social media where we can follow you to see what you're up to? Yeah, I'm on Instagram and my handle is at Pamela Numbetta. Same, I'm on Instagram and my handle I think is at at Gwyneth.Keyworth. I think I put a full stop in there. (laughs) But there's not many Gwyneth Keyworths in the world, so I don't think it's too hard to find me. (laughs) Okay, great. All right, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. All the best with the the last couple of days of rehearsals, and I hope the play goes really well. Thank Thank you so much. Lovely talking to you. Lovely talking to you. Standard issue for all women.